0: Good morning. We'll be reading a couple of scriptures this morning before Phil preaches. We're going to be looking at passage in Luke 1st, chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 1 to 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. This will be from Romans. I'll be reading 14 to 21. Chapter 15, I'm sorry. Verse 14 to 21. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem And round about, as far as Elysium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Heavenly Father, You have given us the priority to exalt Jesus Christ, may we do that in Jesus' name, Amen. So, 2020 has been an interesting year. Um, so,
1: in part, I am I am going to blame this message on everything up here, in in one sense. Okay, uh, you know, I guess I'll start with with COVID and racial unrest. You know. Steve Novakovich said something that has been true of me for quite a while, that I had a great, deep sense of unrest in my soul this year. Having all these events canceled, coming here and and wearing masks, I know it's a small inconvenience, but everything seemed to have changed in this year. So I've had this, like he said, just this great, deep unrest in my soul, and, and these things up here have contributed to that, to one extent or another, challenging my beliefs, you know, COVID and, and the racial tensions are there, but it really came to a head in a couple ways for me why I decided to speak, really focusing on uh, the gospel priorities. Uh, first, Francis Chan, a couple years ago, decided to leave his megachurch and said that he wasn't doing what God asked him to do there. And then recently, he went onto the mission field and he preached a sermon, actually a couple of them, that have drastically changed my heart. It began this process of repentance and self-seeking. Another another one was the price of the ski trip. You know, interestingly enough, as our youth group has grown, things cost more. There are just more kids. Um, We've averaged about 45 kids on a Tuesday night now. Praise the Lord. But when I looked at the price tag for ski trip, I kind of like choked. And I began to think, is this really what God wants me to do with these kids? Not saying that... That can't be a good thing, but I just had a deep unrest in my soul. It furthered this unrest when, over the break, Hezekiah and I were reading through the book of Matthew. You know, one of the amazing things I love about the Holy Spirit working in people is they want to read the Scriptures. They want to hear about Jesus. And my son, six years old, said, Dad, let's read through Matthew. I want to see Jesus work. And I I had no greater thrill. But then something began to kind of... Wrestle with, I began to wrestle with something in my soul again. He wanted to skip to the parts where Jesus was doing miracles. Now that is not a bad thing, right? So we're in the Beatitudes 5 through 7 and he just wanted to get him out of the way. He's like, can we just go to where Jesus like heals someone, Dad? So we went to chapter 8 and immediately after he gives the sermon he heals a leper. And Hezekiah was just rejoicing. And then I, and then I called Bob Deffenbaugh about some of this and he said, why don't you speak on gospel priorities? I have to confess to you guys, I was at a loss. I'm like, what are the gospel priorities? I've been through seminary. I've been a follower of Jesus a long time. But I think I've gotten some things wrong. And I want to share those in hopes with you today that we can exalt the Lord Jesus Christ looking at His Word and thinking about one thing. That's gospel priorities. Gospel priorities. See... Wednesday was another soul-wrestling day for me. And it created, I think, the major need for the sermon in my soul, and I think in yours. Right in the middle of our New Year's Eve event, I had to shut it down. I had to shut it down. And I was pretty much near in tears. I went through like all five or six or eight stages of grief talking to Robert Warner in ten minutes. I was angry. I was sad. I was in denial. I was <laughs> Grieving. And the next day I got in the car and I went to Starbucks of all places, of course. And on the way, I, in my head, and I, I think maybe Jen was with me, I said, I'm going to call the elders and tell them I don't even want to preach on Sunday. Because I was so frustrated with God. But here I am. and God has changed my heart. See, I needed to see Christ lifted up so that He could lift my soul up. I needed to see Him exalted above all things. As the centerpiece of my life, I needed to put God at the center again so that He could lift my heart up, so that I could come here in good conscience and deliver to you this message and to live my life before the Lord in joy and freedom. I pray He will do that today. And I think we all need that. We all need, after this crazy past year and another uncertain year to come, a fresh look at gospel priorities. To see, See, we have priorities in our life, and they're revealed sometimes by the struggles we go through and the difficulties of COVID, etc. But God has priorities too. And in the gospel, I'm going to share with you today the three top ones as far as I see them. I could be wrong here. I'm still wrestling with these. But as far as I see them, these are the three things that God cares most about in the gospel. So I'm going to read to you up here just this first part of Romans 15. It says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So the first priority of the gospel, guys, is to exalt God. That's what it is. The gospel is an exaltation of God, the triune God. He lifts himself up through it. It is not man-centered. Malachi 1.11 says, My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. Almighty. When God works, it's for His glory. When He works, when He delivered Israel out of Egypt, it was for His glory. When He does miracles, when He saves men and women and children, it's for His glory. He exalts Himself. That's what the gospel is primarily. It is a glorification of God. It's Christ exalting. There are so many places we could go. So many. So many. Hebrews 1 was read by Tom this morning. But I love Philippians chapter 2. It says, at the, at the name of Christ, every knee will bow. Have you ever bowed before someone? I have not. My wife. Sorry, my wife. One time in my life. (laughs) That I can remember. That is, that is the quintessential exaltation of someone when you bow to them. And some will do it willingly. Some unwillingly, but every knee will bow. So the gospel is an exaltation of God. It's God centered. It's Christ exalting. And it's also Holy Spirit filled. The filling of the Holy Spirit versus our own works, versus our own striving, versus our own hopes. It's not work centered. It is Holy Spirit centered. Holy Spirit filled. Not self control. Not in the sense that the Bible talks about, not I run my life. It's the Holy Spirit runs my life. Romans 8, chapter 9. Same book, a little earlier says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then a kind of parenthetical notation and it says, And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So the Holy Spirit controls us. We belong to God. If you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you and you belong to Him. You are His. And I gotta say, this is the point that I have wrestled with the most. Just in my motives for youth group, in my motives for my Christian life. You know, I say I don't care about numbers, but I worry about them an awful lot. I say I don't, it's okay if an event's canceled, but when my heart rebels against God when that happens, there's something wrong there. I don't know if you've ever been in that same place as I have been recently, but there's something wrong there. I have not been controlled, filled with the Holy Spirit in the way that God asked me to be. I think there are some implications for that later. But I, I love this. Now, it's a little older, and this video is a little a little hard to hear. It's a little crackly. But I heard this back at Emmaus, and it just made me laugh. The hymns are a little older, so some of you older generations, is a shout-out to you. Uh, this is a picture of kind of our life when it's not about God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit. All right. That was a little long, but I laugh every time. I exalt me. Hilarious. Here, here's the reality, though. <clears throat> what are the controlling influences in your life? I have begun examining those by the grace of God more so in the last couple of weeks than I think I ever have. And I, think, I think it's a good thing do you submit to the Holy Spirit or are you controlled by the Holy Spirit or, or your sense of justice, revenge, truth? Are you a truth lover? But does, but does that control you? Are you controlled by your kids, their sports, their clothes, their plays, your adult children, their goods, their bads? Do they keep you up at night? Do they control your life? Or does the Holy Spirit control you? Do you live for the weekend? Does the weekend control? Do your phone? Does the phone control you? Do your games control you? Do your sports control you? Do your friendships, your social media pages, your desires, your failures even, your fears? How about how other people treat you? If someone wrongs you, does that stick with you? Does bitterness grow in your heart? I know it hasn't me many times. So examine the controlling influences in your life. A couple other quick notes here of application. I think one is that we can't exalt a Jesus we don't know. You can't do that. And so if you're really struggling to exalt him, but you find these other things so pleasing like I have so often in life, probably cuz you don't know him well enough. And I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. I'm talking about prayer, about a personal relationship with the God of the universe cuz as we read earlier, Jesus is God. I and the Father are one. Let him, let him speak to you through that passage and these words today. Examine the controlling influences in your life and exalt the Lord Jesus. Get to know Him personally. Lastly, I think Steve's note last week really spoke to me. It says that he told us from Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14 that we need to wait on the Lord. I think waiting on the Lord is maybe like my worst thing. I have to confess that. I And and oftentimes, I get ahead of God. I do the thing I want without much prayer, without much seeking, and then it plays out in my frustration at the end. But I would encourage all of us that if we move without God, we just exalt ourselves. Just like those songs, if if we're doing our own thing, we're really just exalting ourselves, not waiting on the Lord, not being filled, controlled, owned by the Holy Spirit. So, the first priority of the gospel is that it exalts God. That's what it is. That's the primary pur- purpose of it. It is an exaltation of God. Now the second thing that the gospel puts up there is in Romans 15:14 and Second Corinthians 5:17. So um, I have both those texts up there, but first, Romans 15:14, it says, "I am myself satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness." filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I think the second priority of the Gospel, looking at those and, again, so many others, is that it changes us. It changes our hearts. This is what it does. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, You are changed. Maybe not overnight. Maybe you are. I used to be a -a pack-a-day smoker in high school. The day I submitted to the Lord Jesus, I quit cold turkey. Not a lie. People said it was more addictive than cocaine. I was changed in that way overnight in an answer to prayer. I I have no other reason. I didn't take Nicorette or any of that stuff. See, God had changed these Romans to be full of goodness. Like, Paul doesn't usually speak to people that way, right? If they're unbelievers. But he says of them and many other epistles, again, it's all over, he commends them, he celebrates the change of God in their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says they're full of goodness, wisdom, and they have the ability to make disciples. You know, the cool thing about God's demands on our lives is this, that he provides what he demands. He provides what He demands. If He demands life change, He gives us the Holy Spirit to do it. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you. Listen to this. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And so Paul can write to the Romans and I can say to you, you're full of goodness. You're a saint. There are good things in your life. Jude 24 and 25 says, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to Him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory and majesty and power and dominion and authority are His before all time and forever And beyond all time, amen. I love that. In the ESV it says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of His glory with great joy. God is going to do it. He is exalting Christ in your life. He's going to do it. He's going to change you if you're His. I want to list some of the character traits that I think the Holy Spirit produces. I'll start with kind of some of the general ones and then maybe some of the less general ones. First, I think when we when we grow in knowledge of Jesus and grace, that's 2 Peter 3.18. We grow in the knowledge of Jesus and graciousness in our lives. We treat people better because we know Jesus. We treat them as He treated them. Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, the Trinity. He grows us in faith, our hope, and our love. He grows us in our devotion and commitment. Many passages on that, but... um, Including Second Timothy two four and six, Second Chronicles sixteen nine. That's the one that says the eyes of the Lord look to and fro the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. He changes us so that we are fully committed to Him. I love Jonathan Edwards' resolution. It's a new year, so I'll throw one out there and maybe it'll stick. I don't know he said he resolved to live with all his might while he lived. I think that is a good one for us. Full commitment to the Lord. Live with all of our might. He changes us so that we will do that. He changes our holiness. Second Peter chapter one verses fifteen and sixteen. He changes our humility or lack thereof. He produces humility in us. James four six through ten. He produces unity in us. First Corinthians one ten. The first thing, as Tom said, and as we see in the book, that God asks them to do is to be unified. There are many other places that too. Mercy in Matthew chapter 9.13, and self-control. Talking about the body and sexual temptation and food and all of those things in 1 Corinthians 6.12. So what are some of those implications for us? If, If the gospel changes us, if that's its second priority to change us in our hearts, what are the implications for us? Now, I have this up here because... A couple of things. I have not grown better over the years. That's for sure. I've lost a lot of hair. But the reason it's up there is, how hard is it sometimes in your life to look at what's changed? If we get kind of down in the muck and mud of this last year and we don't see and we don't reflect on the great milestones of the faith, just like the baptism today, we, we won't realize the great change in our lives. And in my life, I've gone from with hair and young looking and thin to kind of the opposite <laughs> down here. Praise the Lord for my beautiful wife. She hasn't changed at all. She's more beautiful. And three kids. But you can see it clearly, can't you? That's at Emmaus. I, I was probably like 165, 170 there. All the way here. I don't know what is doing there, but that is a weird look. But I just want to use that as an illustration In your lives, just for a second in in your heart before the Lord, find a couple of things that you can celebrate as a victory for God this year. Because he wants us to celebrate them. He, He tells the Romans, you are full of goodness. Everyone except the Galatians, he has something nice to say about them, generally speaking. So what has God given you victory in this year? Can you celebrate it in your heart? Celebrate them. Andrew Dean and I often talk about this. Sometimes we think like, you know, we're just all about the struggle. But man, so many of the Psalms are, thank you God, again, Christ exalting. What has God done in your life this year that you can celebrate? Celebrate His victories. Look at the instances. Maybe maybe it's hard for you to say, oh, I haven't changed at all. But maybe you can look back and say, you know what, that's not true. Maybe even 10 years ago. Three years ago, I don't know, maybe a week ago. How has God given you victory? How has He been more exalted in your life and changed you over this past year? I think that's the second priority of the gospel. And, and then, if you don't have those desires, if you're saying, "Man, Lord, I don't, I don't want those things. I don't want those change. I'm not like that." Man, just ask God to change your desires. You know, in the in the Part of the Matthew that I was reading with Hezekiah, Jesus talks a lot about our desires. He says the eye is like the lamp of the body. Whatever you look at, He's using that as kind of our desires. Whatever you look at, if it's bad, your whole body is going to be bad. Whatever you want, if that's unholy, you're going to be unholy. And I've I've had to do that. I confess to you, I've had to go before the Lord and ask Him to change my desires. Even to preach this sermon. I was so angry, wrongly, sinfully. And to examine how can I live my life better controlled by the Holy Spirit? Change to be more like Him. Change to want the things He wants. Change to rejoice in my sufferings. I'll tell you that day I was not rejoicing in my sufferings. I was wallowing in my self-pity. I don't know another way to say it. Thank God that it changed. Alright, the third priority of the Gospel is right here, and this may be the most controversial but I'm going to preach it Romans 15:18 through 19 for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to I don't know how to say this word but Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And so the third priority of the gospel is simply to make disciples. This is what it produces. When we exalt Christ, it means we're going to obey His commands, we're changed, and we bring others along that same journey. It's very simple. But God exalts Himself in that. The question is, how does He make disciples? And as I've been wrestling through this, listening to Hezekiah examining my self-controlling narrative for youth ministry and other things in my life. I this passage in Romans 15 sealed it for me. I got to tell you, there are so many other places I was searching the scriptures fervently, and I came here and I'm like, that's it. In Paul's most theological treatise, at the end of it, he says the gospel was brought in what two things? Words and deeds. I put those together: signs and wonders, miraculous deeds. I gotta tell you, I don't think that stopped. In fact, I'll give you some testimony as to why I don't think that stopped. And I think in your own hearts you can even find that to be true through the word of God. That's why I chose that Luke chapter 9, 1 through 6 passage. Because right there, Jesus says, Hey, I'm sending you out to do what? Proclaim the kingdom. How are they gonna do it? Word and deed. And miracles. They cast out demons, they healed the sick. Right? So here are the men that Jesus told them to do and they went out. And you know what happened? It it happened. They did it. They didn't fail most times. They did what Jesus commanded them to do. You know, in the New Testament, there are recorded at least 85 miracles. And that isn't including some that we think happened like Paul raising from the dead. I think that happened. I think he was stoned, left for dead. You didn't stone someone and not think they were dead, and he rose up from the dead. I think that's another one. So at least 86. Some say it's up to 100. And that doesn't include what John says about Jesus. Many more things he did. Couldn't write them. That's what Paul says. I can't tell you all the things I've done. Many miraculous deeds and signs. And then also, so that's first, signs and wonders. Crazy, exciting one first, and then some things about that later, but then words and deeds, and I think these are, these are some things that are common to us. Sharing and giving. No less powerful. Sharing and giving. No less powerful. Let me, let me say that to you, and I'm gonna give some asides here in a second, some pitfalls of what I'm preaching, I think. Not that it's wrong, but some pitfalls, some cautions. But sharing and giving, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9. That is just as powerful as those things. Caring for widows and orphans, James 1, 26 and 27. Here's one. How about combating racism and discrimination? Whoa, that's pretty, pretty liberal. Peter in Galatians 2, 11 through 14. You know what he did? He was a racist. He said, I don't like those Gentiles. I'm going to eat with my Jewish friends. You know what? Boaz is a great example of fighting that and caring for someone who's down and ostracized by society because of who they are. He cared for Ruth. He went above and beyond. How about the Hellenite widows in Acts chapter 6? They were basically ignored because they were different. They were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. There are others, but there are three pretty clear examples in the Bible of God asking us to do words and deeds that combat racism or discrimination. It's not our central thing, but it's part of who we are, and it's just as important as the miraculous signs and wonders. They're a package. Now, a couple of pitfalls before I get to some examples of what I think he means about signs and wonders. To think that these things are better than spiritual life in Christ is wrong. Matthew 7 says that, in fact, some people will prophesy, will cast out demons. Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. That's a scary thing. Personal followings. I For the youth, I didn't get to do it, but I was going to show this Star Wars video of Benny Hinn being Darth Vader, like slaying people in the spirit. But that man has created a personal following and he's gotten financially super wealthy because of it. That's not what those things are for. Spiritual gifts, specifically the miraculous ones. Superstition. We can fall into superstitions. Always wanting special guidance. The prosperity gospel. Seeking miracles for a special special or spiritual high. Ecstatic worship. Unbelief. Because see, miracles aren't going to provide belief to you. You know what funny? One of the funniest stories in the New Testament is Jesus tells the people that even if someone's raised from the dead, they aren't going to believe. You know what he does? He raises Lazarus from the dead. And what do they want to do? Kill him and Lazarus. Like, okay, <laughs> like, what the heck? He's dead. He was already dead. What are you going to do? God has the power to raise him, but it doesn't produce belief. None of those things do. There can be also demonic power involved, Matthew 7, false pretenses. But I just, this is what God has challenged me with. I don't want to be like the Pharisees who said that that can't happen because I want to control my own life. Have a nice little box or whatever whatever cliche you want to thing you want to say about God. Just because the right road can be risky does not mean that we shouldn't walk it. And I have a great example here. I love this. Daniel three, sixteen through eighteen. If we are thrown this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, talking to Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want it to be clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. What does this teach us about miraculous signs and wonders for our lives? That we walk that road by faith. Hey, check in. Same thing we do everything else with. We walk by faith, not by sight. We Expect God to work miraculously, but we don't demand Him of it. We don't demand, God can do whatever He wants. And, and He did, you know what the cool thing is though? Oftentimes He does answer. He saves lives. He delivers people. He casts out demons. He hides believers. He kept the scriptures for thousands of years safe. He works miraculously. And the cool thing about that is that whole situation exalted God so much that guess who came to know him as Savior? I believe that. He put his faith in him, Nebuchadnezzar. He said, there's no God but your God. God used that miracle, just like Romans 15 is saying, to produce a disciple. I think that is a cool story. So what do signs and wonders have to do with us? I'd like to share with you some personal testimony. Not from the Bible, though this is not normative revelation. And I guess they could be lies. These are things that I believe to be true that have happened with different people and different people that you know as well. First, I had a teacher named Dharma Raj. Um, I think this is right, Sandeep, but it means Dharma is king. This, this man was a uh, practicing Hindu and his family was until he became a believer, but he was possessed by demons. He says he remembers before he was a believer and the demons were cast out that they were going to throw him into a river. That they were in control of his body and in fact did throw him into the river, but he was rescued before. He was a man possessed by demons. This man sat in his right mind and was one of the teachers with me in India. Never know that it happened unless he told you. God cast the demons out of him through a brethren evangelist. And let me tell you something about those brethren evangelists. They are... I believe, often legalistic, but they are not your charismatics. They would not lie about this. They are very strict. And here's a man teaching at one of their colleges who was a man who had been like the man in the Gospels, had demons cast out of him. He'd been healed from demonic possession. Another guy um, named Shivaraj um, and Sandosh. Sandosh was the guy, his evangelist. This man was one of the first evangelist into Bhutan. Now Bhutan, I don't know its situation now, but it was very hostile to the gospel. So this man went alone with very little money. And he went into that country, basically $5 a month. And on that $5, that first $5, he ran out of food. And if I'm remembering correctly, he said he had a tomato left. So he comes to a crossroads. He's emaciated, looking pretty terrible. Because he hadn't eaten much. And he sits down and he decides he needs to pray. So it's come to that, right? As Bob would say, it's come to that. So he prays. A couple hours later, a lady, now mind you, he doesn't think there's any believers in Bhutan and this lady is not a believer, but God revealed to her in a vision that she was to go to this very place to meet this man who was going to help her. And you know, that, that woman's son was his first convert in Bhutan. And now he has a small church there. God gave special revelation to that woman. And this man is a part of the same denomination so that she could help him and then, and she has since become a believer through her son, Shivaraj. And another one of her sons, his name is John, now he changed his name. That is a miracle. That is is what the scriptures are talking about in Romans chapter 15. Here's another one a little closer to home. Joe Head's son, Bob reminded me of this, Surviving birth. Some of you don't know that, but uh, his son, I, Tommy Joe, right, Bob? I think it's Tommy Joe, was not supposed to live through the pregnancy. Had a very low chance. We prayed. This church prayed. He was delivered safely. When he was delivered, they're like, he's going to die right away. He's still alive today. And he's functioning almost completely normally. God answered that prayer. Medically, there was no way he was going to live. He is alive today. Here's another one. Bill and Marilyn McRae went to, I guess, a conference with Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliott and one of the Alka Indians who they had gone to minister to. You guys are familiar with that end of the spear, I think. One of those Indians there, one of the ones that had participated in killing her husband, Jim, heard the hallelujah chorus for the first time in his life, supposedly, and said when he heard it, that's what I heard playing when Jim died, when I killed him. That is a miracle. That is a sign and wonder and confirmation of God's power. Justin Wilson. He's since moved to North Carolina. But that man was on the brink of murdering himself. He was going to commit suicide. And I don't remember the exact part of that story, but if I remember the, the part correctly, the miraculous part, he... He was praying that God would do something. And he turned on the radio and heard the exact thing that he needed to hear at that exact time and brought many other people into his life to confirm it. So he went from a gun to his head, basically, to a follower of Jesus. He was an addict. He had ruined his life, rebelled in the army or the special forces. I can't remember which one. There's a testimony of a life changed. When he's ready to end his life, God intervenes miraculously. There's a book. There's a book that I think you ought to read. If there was one book that I would like you to read on, on this subject, if God so moves in your heart, it is The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. Amazing book. This man, he, one of his sons died in his ministry in Africa and, and in a much greater way than me, he was wrestling with his faith. It's like, God, you, if you are the God of the Bible, what are you doing? And he came back here and God gave him the ministry to go record the faith of people around the world from Muslim countries to Hindu countries to China to Europe, communist Europe, to all over the globe. He has stories that will dwarf what I've told you. Now he could lie, sure, but I don't think he is. And I think these things fit in right with what God has been doing in my heart and right in what he wants to do in yours. And that is he wants to exalt his name. And he'll do it in signs and wonders to make disciples. He'll do it in your words and deeds. And he wants us to believe that. He wants to confirm the gospel. I'm not saying you go out there and try to cast out demons unless God leads you to. But I'm saying right now in the the quiet of your heart as I've done and I am just beginning to do. Wrestle with the controlling influences in your life. Is God as big as he really is in your heart? Is He exalted above all else? Above your addictions, above your hopes, your fears, your dreams. Is Jesus on the throne? Because He's able and does do these things. And I am expecting by the power of God and the Holy Spirit this year for Him to do great things again. So I guess my challenge to myself and you guys is to pray and plan and act, I should add, expecting God to work. Search the Scriptures daily for truth. You know, when I started down this road listening to Francis Chan and kind of like listening to Hezekiah, I found God at work in miraculous ways in every book of the Bible I went. In every book, He is doing something to bring glory to Himself miraculously. Whether people acknowledge it or not. Search for it. I want to commend us for a couple of things. You particularly. I praise the Lord for you guys for your generosity. You know, again, this is just my personal ministry, but we have been able to take care of 50 plus kids overall very well. Provide awesome fun games for them. Provide food for them every week. An average of about 44 kids every week. Thank you. Praise God for that. That is a great work you are doing. And in the midst of COVID, when you probably are struggling financially, God has worked greatly in that. And thank you. That is awesome. And I don't think anyone in this body can say God has not provided for them in that way. Praise the Lord. We preach the truth. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, elders. Thank you all for adhering to the truth when it is becoming and always has been really an abomination in the world. We preach one way to heaven, Jesus Christ alone. We preach that sexual sin is not to be tolerated. Praise the Lord. We preach that marriage is one man and one woman. And on down the list we go. We believe that Jesus Christ demands holiness. Praise the Lord. And we also do a great job of taking care of widows and orphans. Taking care of the needy. You guys do an awesome job of that. Thank you. That is great. One challenge though. Maybe we can expand our vision. Maybe we can see God exalted a little more. Listen to Isaiah 46, 26 through 28. Lift up your eyes and see, CBC. Who has made these stars? Is it the one who leads them out by number? It is, sorry. It is the one who leads them out by number. He calls them all by name. Wow! Just like Abraham, he led him outside the tent in his vision and said, look up, I named them all. That's a powerful God. Because of his greatness and strength and because he is strong in power, not one of them are missing. Oh, Jacob and Israel, oh, CBC, why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord? My God does not think about my cause. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The God who lives forever is the Lord. The one who made the ends of the earth, he will not become weak or tired or infected with COVID or etc. His understanding is too great for us to begin to know. Not to know, to begin to know to begin to know. Man, that's a God that I want to go. I want to be with Him. I want to exalt Him in my life. I think you do too. Let's use, as as Tom said a couple weeks ago, let's use our sanctified imaginations and our, I think, expanded, in my case at least, I'll speak for myself, my repentant, expanded vision of Christ as exalted above all else and able to do these things to pray and plan big couple of very specific things before I close in prayer. One of the things that I've talked a lot about that has been canceled for whatever reason is helping other churches. Now maybe there's some churches in the area that we can partner with and be of mutual encouragement to one another. I tried that with Plano Bible Chapel. It kind of went away because of COVID, but God is able to bring another church up. Maybe South Dallas, maybe South Richardson, maybe North. I don't know where it is, but that's one. And this year, because of these things in my heart, I plan not to do a spring break trip. I plan instead to ask the kids to give and I'm going to give personally to do something for those in need to combat racism or something that partner with someone here. Maybe I haven't talked to you yet, Robert, but I want to talk to you (laughs) at some point about some of the things in your message, right? I want to partner with those churches, with people in this community. We have half of a wing down here on the CYE wing that is never used. What's stopping us if God leads us, to turn that into something where we could bring kids from all over who are struggling. And when I say that, I mean it. Failing school, smart kids, because they're not in school. They need help. Their parents are working. Black, white, Hispanic, all homes. It's, it's across the board. Why don't we turn that into something where God can use it and we can pray for those kids and maybe they'll come to know Him as Savior. I don't know. God does those things. And you say, oh, that's hard. You know what? It is. But God loves to take hard things and do miraculous things with those. He's able to do that. He can give the money through you or someone else. You know, at DTS, they prayed for a cattle on a thousand hills and they had one guy, when they were about to shut down, this was years ago, say, hey, I want to give you my cattle. We'll sell them and give you the money. (laughs) God does that. And He'll do it for us if we seek Him and if it's what He wants. He can change half that into a great place for the gospel. I really believe that. I don't know. Maybe that's what He wants. Maybe not. Maybe you've got something better. But God is able to do those things. What I do know is that God wants us to have the same priorities He does. He wants us to spend our money, our lives, our time on things that exalt Jesus Christ, on things that change us and other people to love Him more, and on things that make disciples. Miraculous means words and deeds, a simple gift. What in your life would God say to you to do to exalt Him between the Holy Spirit and you. Let me pray for us as a church as we start this new year. Father, thank you for the heavy conviction of the Spirit that has been on me recently and helping to me, helping me to examine my priorities that were clearly not right. I confess that and just ask that you would lead us in a better way. Lead us in a Christ exalting, not man pleasing way. Lead us to follow you. Lead us to Pray for miracles. Lead us to believe that you can do them. Lead us to give money to the things that you love. Lead us to do things that combat racism, that help our society, that exalt Christ in the right way, not in our own strength, but in yours. And in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name.